realized this was the week of Thanksgiving, it kind of made it easy for me. I was able to f- figure it out, you know, because the week of Thanksgiving, I mean, it's kind of obvious what we should be talking about in church, right? We should be talking about what? Worry, right? We should be talking about worry. Um, and maybe think, we'll, we'll bring it around to Thanksgiving here in just a few minutes. But yeah, we should, we're, we're talking about worry today, which may feel a little odd, but you're going to see kind of where we're going with this and how we're bringing it all together. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I come from a family of warriors. And no, I did not say warriors, okay? I said warriors. We, I have a family uh, who has this tendency to think about the bad things that can happen and then get stuck there and just spend time dwelling in that place of worry. In fact, if I was to go home today and to call some of my family members and tell them, hey, listen, we made, uh, my family and I, we're gonna vacation in Colorado next summer just you know, for a spot to go to. And if I were to say that, the chances are pretty good that within an hour, I would have some kind of an email message listing off the most dangerous spots in Colorado. You know, this is where the gangs fight. You know, this is where the, the murders happen. This is where, you know, uh, kidnappings, all of this stuff. So stay away from that stuff because I have people in my life who worry about those kinds of things. Now, that's not the way I'm wired. I don't worry about those kinds of things necessarily. I, I tend to be um, super impervious to fear, I guess. I'm just really brave, maybe. No, it's not that. I, I just don't worry about those same kind of things. When I was 17 and 18 years old, uh, the college that I was thinking about going to, I found out was in the kind of the edge of the inner city of Minneapolis. And at the time, you know, being a rural kid from Nebraska, um, that was a little bit intimidating for a lot of the people in my life. But for me, I was like, yeah, bring it on. That sounds like fun. Let's go. And when I, my brother, who was a few years older than me, who was already attending the same school, when I found out a few months before I was supposed to move there, he was walking home from work and he got mugged on his way back to the dorms. Um, you know, my, there was reason for me to hesitate, but it didn't really, that wasn't the kind of stuff that affected me. I, it, again, I'm just so brave, I guess. But I have my own worries I have fears and worries and anxieties that other people may not really click with. But the the things that I worry about, for example, one of them is sometimes I worry about whether or not there will be enough in my retirement account when it's time for me to, you know, ride off into the sunset and just kind of relax. You know, sometimes I sometimes I worry that, you know, when I'm that age, the age of retirement, I don't want to have to I don't want to have to work at Walmart you know, like greeting people for, for you know, minimum wage or whatever. Nothing against that. Some people want to stay busy. That's not what I want. If you see me greeting people at Walmart here in about 30-some years, uh, you'll know something went wrong with my retirement plan because that's not what I envisioned for my retirement. My retirement, I want it to be, you know, spending time with my kids and my grandkids wherever they live. I want to travel. I want to enjoy my time with my wife. I, so I want to relax during that time. Uh, so I worry about stuff like that. Sometimes I worry about my kids. I have five kids, ages uh, nine now. She just had a birthday a couple days ago, all the way up to 16. Five kids in about a seven and a half year span. I know it's crazy. No twins in there, by the way, either. Um, we just put them out like rabbits, I guess, is what, what people say. Um, but we, we have five kids, and sometimes I find myself worrying about the decisions they're going to make in life. I worry about their career path. I worry about their friendships. I worry about boy, their you know, boyfriends and girlfriends and one day spouses. I worry about, most importantly, will they choose to walk in the faith that I have raised them in? Those are my worries that keep me up at night. 
You know, one thing I know here this morning is no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter how together you seem to have it, I'm telling you, everyone deals with worry. Every single person deals with worry. And your worries may be different from mine. Your triggers may be different from mine. Your, your symptoms and the way you carry your worry and show your worry may be different from me. But here's the fact of the matter. We all have worry. We all deal with this. And this is a universal problem. So I want to ask you this question. What's the point of it all? What's the point of worry? Can it accomplish anything good? In, in the Gospels, Jesus spoke to this subject um, in, in one of his most famous sermons. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you're familiar with it. There's, it's this time where Jesus has taken, the, uh, he's up in the countryside, and there's this mountain kind of area, and there's this valley down below, and all these people are gathered below, and he's speaking to this large crowd and talking to them about what God is like and what the kingdom of God is like. And there's all these brilliant messages he says in there. But one of the things he says at one point, in, in, we have it in Matthew chapter 6, is he says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. He says, can all your worries, he adds this, I love this question. He, he kind of clarifies this a little, a little bit. He says, can all of your worries add even a single moment to your life? In other words, can worry accomplish anything good at all? His answer is throughout this passage, he says, I'm telling you, don't worry. I'm telling you, nothing good comes from worry. And so, and so I, I want to be clear this morning when, when I'm talking about this. I just want to kind of draw a line in the sand. On one side, we have worry. On the other side, you have concern. Okay, there's a big difference between the two, right? Concern is actually good for me. Concern keeps me safe. Concern gives me wisdom. It causes me to be careful Concern makes it so that, you know, if I'm walking through a tough part of town late at night, I'm not walking around with $100 bills out like this. You know what I mean? Because that's not very careful. That's not wise. Concern causes me to take discretion when I need to and to use discretion. Um, but worry, on the other hand, is never good. Nothing good comes from worry. Worry brings about misery, anxiety, Fear. Worry causes symptoms, physical symptoms in your body. According to the internet, and you know it's got to be true because I found it on the internet. I found this list of, of, uh, of effects, and actually it's from WebMD, which I think is a pretty reliable source. Um, it, the physical effects of worry are things like ulcers, headaches, migraines, muscle tension, spasms, fatigue, and on and on the list goes. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a place of worry and I start to stress about things, I carry that stress right in here. This part of my body, this, my neck, the, base, the, you know, the bottom of my, my skull kind of in that area and on down. I just carry worry in that part of my body. That's kind of how I do it. And I get like twitchy fingers and I get things like that. Adrenaline that makes my heart race. But not only does worry affect our physical beings, it also affects our relationships. It affects the way we interact with people. God has placed people around you, your family, your friends, and, and the purpose of those people is to enjoy one another, to build up one another, to bless one another. And many times what worry does is it robs from that. It steals from our ability to enjoy life. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been so caught up in worry 
in your mind, bombarded with negative thoughts, bombarded with fear and anxiety, that your mind is overtaken, and one of your children or grandchildren or somebody walks into the room, and all they say is, Mom, Dad, and you turn and you snap at them like, shut up, you know, and you just lose your cool for no reason. Have you ever done that, anything like that? I have not. Um, I have not done anything like that, but I know some people who have, but I'm not going to mention any names this morning. I don't want to embarrass anyone. Um, So, but here's the thing. Those guys, they're cool dudes. I'm just messing with them. Um, (laughs) Anxiety. Anxiety. It's this word. Okay, so let me tell you this something. Just back up for a sec. The, the Bible was written in, in uh, three different languages. Different parts of it were written in different languages. One of the main languages the Bible was written in was the ancient language of Greek. You know, it's still a language, but an ancient form of it. And the word that was trans, that's translated into the English as anxiety or anxiousness is, the word, is this word that literally means to be distracted or divided. Think about that for just a moment. When you're anxious, the word picture here, and I love this. I think it's so appropriate. I think it's so perfect. The word anxious, it means that we are distracted, we are divided. So in other words, you're present, but you're not present. You're there, but you're not there. I can totally relate to that. I know that there are times when I'm in the room, I'm sitting at the dinner table with my family, but my mind is stuck on worry, and I'm not present, and I'm not available to them. Jesus addresses something like this. Let me show you this from the Gospels. Um, In in Luke chapter 10, there's this story where Jesus is uh, passing through this small village and, you know, on one of his trips. And he's passing through with his disciples and a group of followers, and he comes into this village where um, this family lives that he's very close with. And in the family, there are these two women. There's uh, sisters, Mary and Martha, okay? And in Luke chapter 10, the, the Bible tells us that Jesus comes into their home, as would be the custom, and he's going to share this meal with them, and he's going to um, hang out with them. This is very normal, very customary. Hospitality was this huge, huge, um, uh, like, cultural thing that, you know, it was an honor to have people in one's home. So, so Jesus is invited into their home, and, and he's in there. And the Bible tells us, Luke, the, the writer, tells us this, that the two sisters, one of them goes right to work in the kitchen, Martha, she begins uh, getting the preparations ready for the meal, and Mary, her sister, comes into the room where Jesus is and just plops down on the floor and just sits and listens to him, you know, as he's teaching. And Martha is kind of frustrated by this. She's doing the work all by herself. And in, um, in, at one point, she speaks up, and she says to Jesus, she says, Lord, don't you think it's unfair then my sister just sits here while I do all the work. Would you please tell her to come help me? And, and, and Jesus' response to her is so great. He says to her this. He says, my dear Martha, he says, you were worried and upset over all these details. Luke, just before that, in the, in the first verse, in verse 40 there, Luke says, Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. So she was so focused on that, that the the primary thing, which was what? Her guests and the relationships, that became the major thing for her. The secondary thing was the food, right? But she flip-flopped them. Now, now Jesus is not in any way saying, Mary, 
quit being an idiot, you know, or Martha, I'm sorry, Martha, quit being stupid. Like, he's not um, shaming her. He's not addressing her in any way to make her feel stupid. Nothing like that. He looks at her and he says, Martha, you're, you're, you're flipping things. You're making the major thing the minor thing and the minor thing the major thing. Now, the, the point of what he was trying to say is this. Don't allow the secondary things to distract you from the primary. Now, listen, we've got, let's be real for just a moment, can we? Thanksgiving is here in a few days, four days away. Christmas is not far after that. We probably have a lot of family gatherings and holiday parties and work parties and, you know, church whatever, small group parties. And and you've got plenty of gatherings, plenty of places where you're going to be in with people. Now, let let me just challenge you with this, especially for this week with Thanksgiving. We all know that sometimes when you're in a family, there's somebody in the family who just rubs you the wrong way. Maybe they're just an aggressive personality or maybe they're too passive and you don't like that. Maybe they're on the other side of the political spectrum from you and they're very opinionated and outspoken and they annoy you. Maybe they married into the family and you wish they hadn't. Maybe you always feel like they're judging you and you, you despise that. Whatever it is, we all have people in our lives who were kind of like, ah, oh, I wish that person wasn't coming this week. Or maybe for you, you're hosting and you're so concerned over the details, like Martha, to where your, your, your focus is on the turkey, and your focus is on the potatoes, and your focus is on the temperature of the house, and your focus is on whether the doors are getting shut, and people are taking off their shoes. And at the end of the day, you're stressed, you're pulled in all directions, because your mind is distracted by the details when the people are the point of the gathering. And for so many of us, we let worry steal the joy out of our holiday get-togethers. I want to challenge you, just like Jesus challenged Martha there. Don't let the secondary things become primary. Don't let the primary thing, which is the relationships, the people, that's what really matters in that moment. Don't let those become secondary to the details of your day. See, I, don't, I know here at Connect, I don't know what your beliefs are, I, but I know at Connect, we have a lot of people from a lot of backgrounds. We have people who have been followers of Jesus for a long, long time. We have people who have been followers of Jesus for kind of a short time, and you're still not totally sure what all you've signed up for, what you believe, or whatever. But we also have people here who, you know, you're, you're checking things out. Maybe somebody dragged you here today. Maybe you're um, here because you wanted to see genuinely what we're talking about, what we're all about. And we're so glad, no matter where you are on that spectrum, we're so glad you're here. Uh, This is a church for you. This is a church, and we're so honored that you would be here with us just to, to wrestle with some of these questions that you might be wrestling with right now. So I don't know what your beliefs are, but I wanna tell you this. There's something very basic in my beliefs as a follower of Jesus. One of my basic beliefs is that God is good and he has good things in store for me, and that he wants my soul to be at peace. That's what God wants for me. But I have this other, there's this other person who's kind of around, and it's Satan, okay? Satan is on the other end of the spectrum, and Satan is what the Bible calls in some places the enemy of our souls. So he comes against us, and his mission in life is to tear us away from God's plan, God's purpose, the peace that God brings, and to cause us to live inferior lives that are full of worry and dread and fear and anxiety and just to destroy our soul from within. The other thing I believe is that you and I are made up of three parts. 
The physical part is called the body. The, the spirit is the deepest part of me. That's the part of me that comes alive when I put my faith in Jesus. And then there's this part in between. It's called my soul. And my soul is made up of three pieces of my personality. My mind, which is my, what I think. My will, which is what I want. And my emotions, which is what I feel. This is my soul. This is what kind of makes up the DNA of how Andy interacts with other people. My mind, my will, and my emotions. And, and when, when the Bible calls Satan the enemy of our souls, what this means is that he is coming against you on a soul level. Let me tell you why. He can't touch your spirit. If you're a child of God, your spirit belongs to Jesus. It's the indwelling presence of God within you. For some of you, that may sound kind of kooky, but I'm telling you, what God shows us in the, in, in the Bible and stuff is that God sent the spirit of God to come and live within us and to help us and to help us live good lives and to empower us for a godly life. And so Satan can't touch that, but what he can touch is your soul. And he does it with lies. He does it with temptation. He does it with insecurities. He does it with worry. He does it with fear. He does it with anxiety. I'm telling you guys right now, the only weapon he has against you is if he can make you believe the lies that he's spinning. And if he can make you believe those lies, he's got you. He's got you right where, you want you, where he wants you, living an inferior life, less than what God created you for. So worry is a battle within the soul. I believe it was the great American philosopher by the name of Bobby McFerrin who once said these words, don't worry, be happy, right? Inspiring, right? They, those are good words. Like, I want to do that. Bobby, I want to listen to you. Um, and, and about 2,000 years before that, the apostle Paul wrote to a group of his friends who lived in a city called Philippi in this church, and he said to them the same thing. He said, always be full of joy in the Lord and don't worry about anything. You hear it? Don't worry, be happy, right? So you hear Paul say, don't worry, be happy. You hear Jesus say, don't worry about anything. You hear me saying, don't worry, be happy. Bobby McFerrin is saying it as well. We're all kind of speaking the same thing, and we're saying, listen, guys, don't worry about anything. Be happy. Live a life of joy. Live a life of meaning and a life of purpose. And if you're like me, you're asking yourself, okay, I want to stop worrying, but I don't know how. I don't know how to stop worrying because it's just a part of the way my mind works. You know, there are behaviors. Like if I was talking to my child, I said, hey, stop messing with your sister. That's a behavior thing. My kid can stop messing with his or her sister, right? Just stop the behavior. Worry is not a behavior. Worry is a matter of a struggle within my soul. And in my soul, I can't just stop doing the things that are affecting my soul. I need help. And so when Paul writes this in, to his Philippian friends, he doesn't just say, hey, guys, stop worrying. Stop being such babies, all right? Suck it up, you know? Suck it up, buttercup, you know? None of that. He's not just, you know, shaming them and trying to get them to stop in that way. He gives them the steps they need. So let's go ahead and let's look at that. In, in Philippians chapter four, verse six, Paul says again, don't worry about anything. And then he goes on, he says, instead... Pray about everything. So here it is. You've got two choices. Choice number one, live a life of worry. Choice number two, be a person of prayer. Now, I, I grew up in the church, and one of the things that I always got annoyed with growing up was no matter what the problem was, if I came to somebody and said, hey, I've got this issue, you know, I'm struggling with this, or I feel this way, or whatever, they would just say, ah, just pray about it. Just pray. You know, it's like, 
Okay, is that all you got for me? I'm not sure I know how to pray, apparently, because I thought I was doing that, but it was always just pray about it. It was frustrating because I was like, I need to know how. What do I pray? So Paul, in this passage, he doesn't just say, guys, just pray. Just stop worrying and pray. He says, guys, this is how you pray. And so he goes on and he says, in verse 6 again, he says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. You see that? This prayer is, consists of two things. Making your request known to God and thanking him for what he's done. So on the request side, there's a, a place in the, where Jesus is, is speaking to some people and he says, guys, you realize you don't have some things because you haven't asked for them. And he goes on in that same passage and he says, you've got to believe that God is a good God who wants good for you. You've got to believe that. You've, that has to be foundational to the core of your beliefs of who God is. And so Jesus says that. In another place, the, the apostle Peter says, guys, cast all your cares, all of your concerns upon God because you know why? Because he cares for you. He really cares for you. He wants to, to, um, you to live that life of, of soul peace. And he wants you to take your burdens and take them off and put them on him. Just like he took all my sin on the cross 2,000 years ago. He took all my worry. He took all my shame. He took all my anxiety. All of that. Cast it on him. Take it off of your shoulders and say, Jesus, here it is. So, the, so when you have a need, you have to first ask for the solution. And then secondly, don't be the, there's nothing worse than a spoiled brat, right? Who's constantly asking for things and then gets them and never says thank you, you know? He never acknowledges what you've already done. I don't want to be a spoiled brat when it comes to the family of God. I want to be a, a, a kid who is very grateful. And so Paul tells us, it's not just asking for the stuff you need. It's also thanking him for what he's already done. Being thankful, thanksgiving. I love that. So that's <clears throat> like a little personal rule of mine. Don't ask for something from God without also thanking him for what he's already done in that area. So if my, if, my, if my need is in the area of my health, my prayer goes something like this. Lord, I have this issue that I'm really concerned about. I'm, 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 I'm struggling with worry and I need you to help me. Uh, can you fix this? Can you bring healing in this area? Can you give wisdom to the doctors? Um, help me. But then also, thank you, God, for what you've already done. Thank you that I've enjoyed a lot of health in my life up to this point. Thank you, Lord, that the rest of my body is healthy. Thank you, Lord, that the people I love are healthy for the most part. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. So your prayer consists of both. There's something about being thankful that produces peace in our lives. And so Paul says, this is the path, and then here's the result. Let me give you the promise that Paul gives, and we're going we're gonna to wrap up here in just a moment. He says in verse 7, if you do this th these things, if you pray about everything consisting of pr uh, asking for something, asking for what you need, and thanking him for what he's done, then you will experience God's peace. I love this. Then you will experience God's peace. See, the promise is not then you will get everything you want. If you ask for everything and say thank you, you will get exactly what you want in that moment. It'll be wrapped up with a bow on it, sitting on your front doorstep. All you have to do is open it up. That's not the promise here. The promise is if you ask and give thanks, 
God will produce peace in your life. God will, um, will, and not only peace, this is peace that will, that, that is bigger than anything we can understand. And then here's the cool thing. I want you to get this picture. It's peace that stands guard at your heart and your mind. In other words, your soul, right? My passions, my desires, my thoughts, my, um, my will, what I want, all of that flows from my, my mind and my heart. And God's word promises us, if you pray this way, then you will have the, the protection of God's peace, standing as a, as a guard, not letting anyone in. Very intimidating, right? They've got all the weapons, or you know, they just look buff, and you know, God's peace, and it's standing there, kind of looking mean at, at 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 all of Satan's temptation and all of his lies, so that when those things come, and guys, they are going to come. He's not going to leave you alone. Satan doesn't just quit because you figured this out or whatever. He's going to keep coming at you. But the cool thing is, and th- this leads to the rest of this verse: His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live. In Christ Jesus. What does that tell me? It tells me that this isn't a one day thing where you get this all figured out right now and you pray a prayer one time and suddenly he's leaving you alone and you'll never have to worry again. You'll never have the feelings of anxiousness again. What this is, you guys, is this is an ongoing, daily coming back to the well. Just like I have to go back and I have to go back and shower you know, on a regular basis. I have to go back and get cleaned up. This, you know, from a spiritual perspective, I have to go back to God every day and remind myself of this truth. Because every day, worry's gonna come at me. And every day, anxiety is gonna come at me. And every day, my weapon against it is bringing my requests to God, thanking him for what he's done, and then letting his peace stand guard. Does that make sense? Let me pray for you here today. Father, thank you so much that you do have good in store for us. And Lord, your desire is for us to be at peace in our souls. So Lord, I do pray that you, um, you just continue to produce that peace in us, Lord, as we learn these steps. First of all, coming to you in prayer, asking for what we need in our moment of help, knowing that you are good, knowing that your desire is to produce what is good. And then secondly, being thankful for what you've already done. God, as we can learn to discipline ourselves, as we can learn to apply these principles every single day, we look forward to seeing peace of God increase in our lives to where it becomes the norm and worry becomes the the one-off as opposed to what it is for many of us right now where worry is the norm and peace comes occasionally. So God, we pray this all according to your, your good will for us and according to the name of Jesus, and we thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.